Norma, why don't you pray for us? Jesus for a new day. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege and opportunity to come together and worship you and honor you, Father God, and love you, Father. Father, right now I want to lift up to you the city of Baghdad, Father. I pray, Father, for all the people that are being uh, injured in this suicide bombing that happened this morning, Father God. I just pray, Father, for the emergency crew, Father, for the police, for the paramedic, doctors, nurses, Everybody that is helping in this difficult situation, Father God, I just pray Jesus that you give them wisdom and discernment, Father God. I pray for the for those who are injured, Father God. I pray that if they don't know you, Father God, that they will come to know you, Father, the real God. Father God, I just thank you, Jesus, that we can come and right now into your holy presence, God, and worship you and honor you, God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you give us wisdom and discernment, Father God, to hear directly from you, God. I pray that, Father, that that we truly, Father, follow you and honor you, God, and everything that we do and say, God, and forgive us, Father God, when we take for granted what you had given us, what you had entrusted in us, Father God, and I pray, Jesus, that, Father, the Holy Spirit, that you help us to do exactly what you call us to do, God, to be your hand and feet, Father, and I pray again and again, Jesus, that you forgive us when we don't do that, Father. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this new opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Father, I thank you that you are the light in the midst of darkness. I thank you, Father, that you are the hope to the hopeless, to the broken. I thank you, Father, that we're able to come together today, Lord, and open up your word. And Father, be encouraged, Father, yet again, to know that you are God and God alone. Father, you are calling each of us unto yourself. I pray, God, that we would not resist. I pray, God, that we would not continue to rebel. I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves. That we would see such great love that you have for us. God, that we would continue to go our way. God, that we would truly live lives that are surrendered unto your Lordship. Father, that we would stop making excuses or allowing the temporal things of life to rule us. That God, we would truly see and know how great and how marvelous, and, Father, your love is for us. Your word says that your love endures forever. God, your word says that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son. That whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I pray, God, that we would set our hearts and our minds to the things that are eternal. And that we would truly continue to live in a way, God, that we would deny ourselves. That we would pick up our cross and that we would follow you daily. So, Lord, I thank you again for this opportunity to gather, to open up your word. And I pray, God, that we would be encouraged today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 12 is where we're heading. <clears throat> And I wanted to remind us, the audience in which this gospel was written for. Yet though it was written for this audience, this church if you would, in Rome, just as it was meant for them in their day, it's meant for us in our day. Remember these Christians in which this gospel was being written, to encourage them in their walk with Christ, in this new life in Christ. And that's the key. It's a new life. It's not the same old life, and you just slap Jesus on it. No, it's a new life. A new life in Christ. You are born again. These believers understood this concept. They know what Jesus has done in their lives. They know they are no longer the same. They know that the temporalness of life is not what they're seeking after any longer. Because they know that the temporalness of life, if I'm seeking that, then I'm going to endure His wrath. And I've said over and over, why would we choose His wrath over His love? Why would you choose an eternal separation from God because of the temporal things of life you're so focused on. See, as a Christian, you're not to be focused on the temporalness of life. 
the desires that are from within. Because remember, as a Christian, you are to consider that you've nailed them to the cross and you've crucified them there. You're a new creation. You begin to learn to walk differently, to talk differently, to do differently, to think differently. Remember, the Bible says, how does He transform us? By changing the way we think. How have you been thinking this week? How have you been thinking today? If you're still in the same thought process as you were before Christ, something's wrong. Something's wrong. You're not submitting yourself to His Lordship. You see, these believers, they knew what it meant to accept Jesus as their Lord. For goodness sakes, remember, this was the time when, when Nero, the, the head man who was in charge of Rome, there were, he was burning Christians on crosses in the streets. He was gathering up and putting them in arenas so that the spectators could watch Christians be mauled by wild animals. And they cheered over it. The Christian faith wasn't popular, but these Christians understood, this world is not my home. My hope is in Jesus. Kill this body, do what you're going to do, but you cannot touch what He has done within me. I'm not living for this world any longer. I'm living for Him. And they, yet they were still called to have compassion and love for the very ones who hated them. They were still called to go into the world and to be a light in the world. They were called to go to represent Christ. Who have you been representing this week? The Christian faith. It's more than just showing up on a Sunday, more than just showing up on a Wednesday or a Friday or any other day the church meets. The Christian faith is a lifestyle. Because you've seen your need for a Savior, because God is pleased to reveal Himself to you. God Himself is pleased to let you know who He is through His Son Jesus. He's pleased. He's pleased. He loves you so much. He cares about you. That He willingly sent His one and only Son to die for you. And your response is never forced. He's not going to force you to love Him, you all. He's not going to force me to love Him. Love never forces anyone to do anything. True love always leads you to true submission. My God. How can I not bow my knee? How can I not receive this gift that you're giving me salvation? How can I not trust you? Look at the things that you've put your trust in before Christ. Think of your life, think of your days, think of even the things maybe today that you're struggling with or you're wrestling with. The things that are trying to maintain control over you. See, something is controlling you. 
rather it be the Holy Spirit or rather it be your flesh. The flesh only knows how to die. That's why it will lead you to the things that will kill you quicker. But the Holy Spirit, whom is given to you as after you receive Christ, He leads you on the path of life, of freedom, of hope. Doesn't mean that your life won't have trials. Doesn't mean that your life won't go through deep, dark valleys. But the promise is, is that He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will see you through it. He will comfort you. He will guide you. He will keep you. He will seal you until the day of redemption. See, God's plan, you all, to have a people that He can call His own. And that they in return will call him their God. To have a people, we hear this, and I've said this over and over and over to us. And God's plan, read, read his word. It's to have a people who truly love him. Who truly, truly love him. Who truly allow the Holy Spirit to bring conviction in their life. To lead them to repentance. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't be living this way. God, give me, give me the desire to love you more. God, give me the desire to, to be still to know that you are God. Give me the, the ability to just be still and allow you to transform my way of thinking. Because in my thought life, how I think, so I'll go. If I'm thinking upon you, I'll go towards you. If I choose to think over here, then I'm going to walk away from you. So we've got to be careful in deceiving ourselves to think we're right with God when we're not. Tomorrow we celebrate our independence. It's a huge celebration for America. But how many people really understand what we're celebrating? How many people truly understand that holiday, the freedom that this country had been given. A lot of us will gather tomorrow, we'll have our barbecues, we'll do our celebration, we'll shoot our fireworks, but we have no clue of the history of our nation and what this great nation was meant to be. Because we as a nation have lost our identity. We have given up our freedom. We as a nation have given up our freedom and now we're controlled by a government that is never, was never meant nor purpose to control us. We were liberated and yet we've gone back as a nation into bondage. And as I think about that, I think about the church. We have the ultimate expression of freedom. We've been liberated from such oppression. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. But just as America, the church is, she's lost her identity. She, she has forgotten of the freedom that has been given to her. She has been liberated. And yet, she has gone to her oppressors. That's not how it ought to be in the church and in this great nation. But in the church, Jesus is Lord. 
Jesus is Lord. And that is where we are to find ourselves submitted. Let us not forget of the freedom in which he has purchased for us. Let us not forget how he died on the cross, endured the wrath of God. How he was buried and three days later rose again, fulfilling the prophecy of the one and only Messiah that would come to redeem mankind, that would come to crush the head of the serpent. How he ascended into heaven, how he is seated at the right hand of God, and how he has poured out the Holy Spirit, such freedom to his people, to the people of God. We ought to be living differently. No matter where you're at in your walk with God, you ought to start being a different person. Because your mind is being renewed, but your mind is not going to be renewed if you're not in his word. If you're not in fellowship, if you're not being discipled, if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you, because remember what the Word of God says, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires that will lead you to your death. Because that's what those desires are doing. But as a believer, how you're to be living. Mark wrote this gospel to this church to encourage them. Remember who Jesus is. Remember the price that has been paid for your life. Remember who you belong to. Don't lose sight of that. Even in the midst of intense persecution, even when maybe you're, you're wavering in your faith and you're even undoubting him, don't forget who he is, and what he's done. And let that be a word for us today. Don't forget Jesus, you all, when you're tempted. Don't forget Jesus when you're out there and life just may be going going to hell. All these hard situations are all around you. Don't forget Jesus when people are laughing at you because you're following him. Don't forget Jesus when the enemy wants to creep in and try to attack you with a whole bunch of insecurities and mindsets that come to rob you of your peace. Don't forget Jesus. He's the way. He is the truth. And He is the life. We left off in chapter 11. Jesus clears the temple. Jesus' authority is challenged. And now we pick up in chapter 12, where Jesus begins with a parable, a story. Then Jesus began teaching them with stories. These are Jesus' words. A man planted a vineyard, He built a wall around it, dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice, and built a lookout tower. Then he leased the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At that time, 
of the great harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, beat him up, and sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant, but they insulted him and beat him over the head. The next servant he sent was killed. Others he sent were either beaten or killed until, until there was only one left. His son, whom he dearly loved. The owner, the owner finally sent him thinking, surely they will respect my son. Oh, you see, you see that where the story is going. He's sharing the story of among the crowd. The religious men are there. These religious leaders who are supposed to be leading people to God, and yet they're not. They're keeping people from God. Because they're not teaching the truth of God. They're just giving them laws and rules. The do's and the don'ts. They want to hold on to their position. Their desires are more greater to them than God is. And they want Jesus done. They want him put away. He's wreaking havoc in their lives. And now he's telling the story. A man who has planted this vineyard. How the man has then began to send his servants in to collect. His share of the crops. But the servants are angry. So they're killing the men that the owner has sent in. All of them are dead. Or beaten. But there's one. The man's son. Remember, this is a story. But in the story... It's a lesson. If you ever read the Old Testament, do you know what happened to the prophets that God sent to Israel? They killed them. The people of God did not want to hear the message of God. Did y'all hear that? The people of God did not want to hear the messenger or the message from God. They were irritated by these prophets who would come and try to warn the people Turn back to God. The way you're living is wrong. You're going to endure His wrath. But if you turn to Him, He will receive you. He will love you. He will restore you. And the people were angry. And they would beat the prophets. They would kill the prophets. They didn't want to listen. To the prophets. They would rather listen to the so-called prophets who came in among God's people and were just prophesying all the good things. Leading people astray. Keeping people focused on their desires. But there was one. But there was one that he hadn't sent yet. Look at what it says there, how he describes his son. Verse 6, until there was only one left, 
his son, whom he dearly loved. Verse 7. But the tenant farmer said to one another, Here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. What do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do? Jesus asked. I'll tell you. He will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's wonderful to see. What do you suppose is going to happen to these farmers? I'll tell you. He will come and kill those farmers. They will endure his wrath. Wow. The owner sent his son. And the hearts of those farmers was, let's kill him too. Here comes the heir to the estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. How sad is that? Instead of seeing that they were in error, they were so greedy. So greedy. And look at verse 12. This is interesting. The religious leaders, remember those men, who should have been leading people to God, but yet they were keeping people from God. They, These religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus, look how they respond to what they heard. The religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized that he was telling the story against them. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. I can only imagine this scene. This crowd around Jesus. People are listening. The religious leaders are there. The churchgoers are there. They're listening. The people who, who hold a form of religion. Rather, it's in this, this day, or rather it was in that day. People who are holding a form of religion, denying God of his power, but yet holding a form and pretending to be of God. They're offended by truth. You can always tell the religious people in the crowd, they're offended by truth. They're easily angered at truth. Don't hold them accountable. It incites something within them. How dare you? No, how dare you? For wanting to maintain control. You religious person, you. Instead of humbling yourself and repenting. These men, do you see what the Word of God says? They realize, wait a minute, he's talking about us. 
we're the wicked farmers. And instead of allowing the fear of God, knowing that Jesus just said, what do you think God is going to do? He's going to kill them. They're going to face his wrath. He will destroy them. Instead of that, bringing them to their knees and going, oh God, forgive us. Look, what was provoked in them? They wanted to kill him. They wanted to arrest him. They wanted to do away with him. But they, he, they knew they couldn't because of the crowd. So I can only imagine them backing away out of the crowd. Leaving it. Leaving the scene. Are you all backing away from truth? Are you so entangled with your own self that you're choosing God's wrath? And you say, well, I didn't kill the prophets. I didn't kill Jesus. No, but you're a sinner. You're in rebellion towards God. And if you remain in the condition and the state of rebellion towards God, whether you're sitting in church or not, that state of rebellion, you will endure His wrath. You're not to be a rebellious person any longer. You are to be a person who is allowing the process of sanctification, allowing the Holy Spirit to have full access to your heart and to your life because you've surrendered your life to God. No, I don't do these things any longer. My body within me may desire them greatly, but I don't do them. Not by my own strength, but because I'm dependent upon Jesus. He has made me new. I am a new creation. I will stop this game. I will stop this foolishness where I will bless him with one mouth and then curse him with the same mouth. I will speak of righteous things, but then I will speak of filth. I will have an attitude among the religious, but when I'm away from the religious, I'll act like a nut. It's a double-minded, it's double-hearted. You're just as guilty as the murderer who's sitting in prison who has not, who has not repented. You're just as guilty, just as guilty. If your heart is still towards rebellion, you stand condemned. What is he going to do with those who continue to rebel against him? They're going to feel his wrath. And yet when people hear that, it angers people. And the reason why is because they want to hold on. They're no different than these men. They don't want to hear truth. They want to keep doing how they want to do. You know, just within one week, I've heard so many stories of Christians who have turned back to their old ways. Who, who, who can confess the things of God and yet in the same confession confess that they, they, the conviction in which they're feeling is not leading them to repentance because they're refusing to repent.
heart is hardened, hardening, that you're turning from God, that you're refusing to repent, you're choosing to go your way, Christians who are embracing the world standards, and yet hardening themselves to the repentance, or to the conviction to lead them to repentance, and they're doing it out of the name of love, like, we're making a mockery, Well, If we're not living for Jesus, then we're making a mockery of Jesus. If you're not living for Jesus, you're making a mockery of Jesus. Remember, this church is being encouraged. Remember Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Like the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, have you humbled yourself today before Him? Listen, life's rough. These are, times are going to challenge you. And your belief in Jesus is going to be challenged time and time and time again. Trust me. There's days I wake up and I'm challenged. There's moments in life where I'm challenged with what I believe. There's days where I just go, oh, God, I don't want to do this anymore. There's days that I want to be the one in the crowd that backs away and just goes, See, his love for us is relentless. He continually reveals himself to us. Oh, you can go away, Rob. But in your choice, you're going to have to walk by me. You're going to have to be able to look at me and say, I don't love you, God. So that when I come and I judge the earth and I judge you, my judgment would be valid because you refused me. I didn't refuse you, Rob. You refused me. And as it is with all of you, you'll have to stand before God and give an account for how you lived. And you can't make excuses In your heart of hearts, you're either saying yes, God, or you're saying no, God. Yes, God, or no, God. Think about what you put your hands towards this week. Think about what you put came from your mouth. Think about where your mind has been. You are either saying yes, God, or no, God. And it's your choice. No one can do force you to say yes or no. It's your choice. Your circumstances cannot force you. It's your choice. You can look at your circumstances. You can look at what's happened to you. And you can say, no, God, but that's your choice. Or you can say, yes, God. I don't care what's going on around me or within me. God, yes, you're God. So he always brings me back to and I go, oh, God. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you're not quick just to give up on us. He's not quick to give up on you. Like, he's there with you every single day. He's there with you every single moment, showing you, I love 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 you. 
don't go this way, don't go that way, don't do that. You're only going to endure my wrath. And why would you endure my wrath when you have my love? And if we choose to deny Him, do you realize you're choosing to turn from Him over something that is temporal, over something that is fading away? Why would we do that? Why would we be like those men in the crowd who recognize, oh wait, you're talking to me. How many times have you ever been in a service and you've heard preachers preach and you go, I think he's talking about me. That could either incite in you to get frustrated or angry like these men, or it will bring you to repentance as the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction to your heart. How are you responding? You're either responding like those men, or you're responding as a Christian should. Oh God, that's me, forgive me. Oh, what a beautiful story. And yet, they didn't get it. So later, instead of coming and repenting or saying, Jesus, what what must we do to be saved? Instead of seeking him to to find hope and salvation, no, some of them returned. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus and to say something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Do you see what's happening here? Again, they didn't come in order to really seek truth. They came just to try to trap Jesus. Again, another, another if you would, sign of a religious person. Oh, they may talk about God, but what the knowledge of God they're puffed themselves up in, they may preach a good sermon, they may pray the right prayers, they may hold a right form, but the questions that come from their mouth exposes them for who they are. Oh, you're not really seeking truth. What you want to do is cause division. You're questioning, though it may look pious and righteous, in reality, you're not seeking. You're here somehow, some way, to bring division. That's what religious people do. They only seek for themselves. What should we do? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy as he does ours. Jesus knows your motives. He's not moved by your form of religion. He's not moved by your hypocrisy. One foot in, one foot out. No, he sees right through it. Why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin, and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, Whose picture and title are stamped on it? 
Caesar, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. He exposed their hearts. He exposed them for what they were trying to do. And still, and still, they are amazed, but yet they're not drawn to him. Think about that, you all. Are you drawn to Jesus? Or are you just simply amazed by him? Are you really drawn to Jesus? Have you really repented and turned from your wicked, rebellious ways and turned to him? And as you're walking in the newness of life, are you quick to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and go, oh, I shouldn't go that way. Thank you, Lord. And going this way. That's the Christian life. A life surrendered. A life allowing the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. Just because you show up for church doesn't mean that you're feeling the conviction. Doesn't mean that you're being led by the Spirit. You may be simply amazed by God. You may be simply amazed by Jesus. But can you truly say in your hearts of hearts that you are a follower of Jesus? Because that's what it boils down to. These men did not want to follow Jesus. These men wanted to hold a form of godliness. Then Jesus, oh here we go, another group of religious folk. Then Jesus was approached by some Sadducees, religious leaders who say there is no resurrection from the dead. They posed this question, teacher, Moses gave us a law that if a man dies leaving a wife without children, his brothers should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married and then died without children. So the second brother married the widow, but he also died without children. Then the third married her. This continued with all seven of them, and still there were no children. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. Again, this is what religious people do. They bring in the most craziest questions. Instead of sincerely seeking, they want to make a mockery of it. Have you known those people? Are you one of those people? <laughs> you ought not to be. Careful of those who continue to try to, to conjure up these, these questions, these theological discussions that will lead you nowhere but confusion. They came <coughs> to challenge Jesus. They didn't believe in a resurrection, and yet their question has to deal with the resurrection. Let's see if we can trip him up. I'm telling y'all, you got to love Jesus. I love how he responds. He's not this weak-willed God. He's not this wimpy dude. No, he's solid. He knows who he is. He knows why he came. 
He has a purpose, and he's going to accomplish it, no matter what these people are trying to do to him. So he looks and he replies, your mistake, ha, I love this, is that you don't know the scripture. These are men who are well studied in the scripture. The people around them at this time look at these men because they think that these men are close to God because of their knowledge. And yet Jesus tells them, you don't know Scripture. And look at this. Not only don't they know Scriptures, you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Not that they will become angels, so let's not go down that weird craziness that people teach. But they will be like angels. But now, as to whether the dead will be raised, haven't you ever read about this in the writings of Moses? In the story of the burning bush? Long after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had died, God said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So he is the God of the living, not the dead. You have made a serious error. Wow. He exposed them. And again, their heart was exposed, the rebellion within, and they did not respond to, in repentance. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus has answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart, with all my understanding, and all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important to, than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifice required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. Isn't that powerful? He, Jesus looked at this one religious leader out of the multitude of them that were probably gathered. You're not far. I see that there's awakening taking place. There's, there's an understanding within you of the things of God. You're not far from the kingdom. It reminds me of the scripture where it said, Seek him and you'll find him if you seek him with your whole heart. Your whole heart. And look at this. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. But later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, Why do teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. 
Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? The large crowd listened to him with great delight. Jesus also taught, Beware of the teachers of the religious law. For they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. There's that punishment again. God's wrath on those who rebel against him. Jesus is warning these people, do not be like your religious leaders. They hold a form of godliness, and yet they're not of God. Be careful of the people that you're following. Be careful of the people that you're listening to. Not everything that sounds godly is godly. No matter how well they pray, no matter how well they preach, no matter how well they know the Bible, no matter how well they look, careful, careful. Rather, they're pastors, rather they're evangelists, rather they're Christians. Careful of your friends, careful of the people who are influencing your life, that say they're of Jesus in reality, they're not. You know them by their fruit. So it shouldn't be a surprise. You know them by their fruit. And he ends this chapter. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. He wasn't moved by those who were showing up, putting stuff in. He was moved by the one who came and gave everything she had. What are you giving to Jesus, you all? Are you just giving him a small portion of your heart and of your life? He's not looking for a small portion. He's looking for the whole portion. He's looking for all, not just some, but all of you. And you know what? What did he give of himself to you? He didn't give up just some of himself. No, he gave up all of himself for you. So he's not asking you to do something that he hasn't done. He's not asking you to live in a way on this earth that he himself didn't live. That's why he's able to say, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they, if, if they persecute you, realize they persecuted me. You will never endure what he endured. 
And you say, but you just said we were going to endure the punishment and the mockery. And if they hated him, they're going to hate us. Well, the ultimate, what he endured, was on that cross. When he took upon your punishment. You see, when you come to Jesus, you may endure the, the, the temporalness of life, the, the hatred, the, the beatings, the whatever that may happen here. But when you come to Jesus and you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you remain in Jesus, you will never, ever, ever feel the wrath of God. Because your punishment has been paid. He took it. He took it. So don't settle, you all, for the temporalness of this life. Don't settle for just the basic understanding. Like you're almost there, and yet you don't fully give yourself to Christ. Why would you choose to remain in rebellion when His love is calling you from it. So be encouraged today, you all. As you go through this week, keep Jesus at the center of your life. Keep Him at the center of your heart. Abide with Him. Remain in Him. And I'll close with the remind, remind, reminding us of Jesus' words. Those who love me will obey me. So I will ask you all, as I've been asking you, do you love him? I mean, it's what it all boils down to. Remember the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with your whole being. Love God. You know if you're loving him or not. Our lives are here today and gone tomorrow. Here today and gone tomorrow. And when you stand before God, is He going to know you? That's what it boils down to you all. Is He going to know you? Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in. Or is he going to say, depart from me? You worker of sin. You worker of iniquity. I don't know you. That's what it boils down to. Are you living in such a way that you're loving him? Because you know him. And he knows you. Like that first song that was played. We are His bride. He's returning for us. That is our hope. And that's why, because of that hope, we want to go out and tell others who Jesus is. The good news. Don't settle for the temporalness of this life. The earth is passing away, but there's one that came to give hope. No other religion has it. 
They may present their false hope, but there's no hope found in other religions. Because no other religion can give you the hope that Jesus gives. The hope of eternal life. The hope to be restored back to God. Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. There's no other way to God but through me. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. And go out this week and live for God. Allow Him to transform your mind. Submit yourself to the Holy Spirit's leading. And be refreshed and renewed and revived. And get out there, you all, and burn bright. Tell others about Jesus. Because the world is darkening, you all. It's darkening. And we're called to be the light. Amen.